0: You know what's weird, though? My other recording says zero seconds in the little record window. I think this little record window might not be the most reliable. Oh, my God. That's terrifying. That's a kind of unreliable little piece of software.
1: Um, (laughs) And we're, like, super warmed up to do this. We are
0: so warmed up. Ah, the great experimentation. All right. Let's talk about experimenting again. Um, (laughs) Ready? (laughs) Ready? guys welcome back to the Anna creates podcast I have a very exciting episode for you today this is the first Anna creates podcast with a guest on it so today I have my friend Malcolm Cottle on the uh, on the show and it's funny because Malcolm and I have been friends for years and we've worked on so many different projects together and we're going to talk about that in the episode but one thing that we always do is we we like to experiment together with different types of projects and different things and pushing our boundaries within the projects that we are working on and that extends right into this podcast this is the first time I've ever had a guest on here and I knew Malcolm would be totally game to be on it and to uh, to sit down and chat with me as I learn how to have a guest on the podcast how to talk with a guest on the podcast and also the technological details uh, with having a guest on the podcast so I'm not gonna lie what you're about to hear is actually the second time we've recorded this podcast um, and I'm not gonna go into too many details but basically technology failed us and we had to record it a second time, which is kind of funny, but it did leave some open holes, which I do want to just address right now. One is the fact that, yes, he does call me Chuck, but that's a story for another time. Maybe I'll address that in another episode. And two is the Deny the Threat project. Uh, We talk about Deny the Threat, and that's kind of one of the reasons I have him on the podcast today is last week we released the Deny the Threat live off the floor reunion session, and Deny the Threat is a band that Malcolm is the drummer of, and I have have been their longtime engineer producer. Deny the Threat was one of the bands that I started my career with actually back in the day, and we're going to talk about that, but they've been in my life for a long time, and so this project that we just released last week is very important to me and uh, very exciting, so go check it out. The link for that is in the podcast notes, so check that out at aniccreates.ca slash podcast. You can also leave a comment there, and let me know what you thought of this podcast episode with a guest. I'm hoping to have more guests on the podcast, so this was a very good first time uh, having a guest. I hope you enjoy the podcast where we talk a lot about professionalism, the importance of networking, how I started working with Sean Mendez, and uh, anything to help freelancers and creatives, as well as the whole Deny the Threat project, how we came to get to know each other and how we got to work together, and just our experiences working together um, that I think can inspire a lot of people and uh, give you some ideas. So anyway, without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right, everybody, uh, welcome to the Anna Creates Podcast. I would like to welcome Mr. Malcolm Cottle to the Anna Creates podcast. Welcome, Malcolm. <laughs> Thanks very much, Chuck. It's good to hear from you again. <laughs> that's a good that's a good one. Is everybody has anybody ever said that to you before? Welcome, Malcolm? That rolls off the tongue.
1: Yeah, funny enough, uh, back in uh, grade school at uh, Jean Sauvé, I had a babysitter, uh, babysitter, and she loved to say that. She'd be like, welcome, Malcolm, and uh, (laughs) you'd love to embarrass me in front of my friends when she would say that. So, yep, yep, it's not unfamiliar.
0: Okay, it's not new. Damn it. I thought I thought of something unique. Um, (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) welcome to the Anna Creates podcast. It's so uh, nice to have you here. Um, We've been talking about this for a little while, actually, which uh, I'm so glad that it's happening now finally um so we've known each other for quite some time now um but can you give uh the listeners here a little bit of a, a background about what you do you're in video work you're in music production you have other things going on so just give us a little recap of who you are yeah, sure. I'd be happy to.
1: Um, so, thanks for having me here. I'm so glad to be on the podcast. Long time listener, first time guest. <laughs> um, my name is Malcolm Cottle. Um, I grew up in Stratford, Ontario, and now I live in uh, Michigan. Um, and uh, my career uh, strictly is actually museums. That's what I do kind of uh, Monday through Friday, nine to five. I work at a historic estate museum and work with artifacts and stuff like that. But, uh, like Chuck said, I've actually been doing music and videography now for quite some time. Um, I'm a longtime drummer. Uh, I went to school for and minored in uh, percussion arts and uh, did kind of all that kind of stuff. I've played in bands for a long time. I've um, done a lot of recording over the years. I started by just recording for Chuck and then started learning from him. And then kind of just started doing my own stuff. So now with music, I just kind of produce my own records for my own uh, amusement, I guess, uh, just to kind of be creative. And I do some covers on YouTube kind of casually as well, just that kind of stuff. But about four years ago, I started a uh, production company called Gorilla Back Productions, where I do uh, videography. So I shoot weddings and I shoot uh, music videos, other kinds of music related projects like show promos and uh, stuff like that. I also do a lot of corporate work and a lot of of non uh, work as well, working with uh, different museums and museum associations and things like that. Um, and then I shoot models every now and then too, because that's kind of fun. Uh, I have a really great business partner, Trevor Norman, who does photography. So our company offers photography and uh, videography.
0: Awesome. So your main like day job is at the museum, and then your own business is your production company, uh, which is more on videography. But music isn't your kind of a, a full-time job. It's more of a passion project, Can Continuous passion project. Yeah, it's a passion project that I spend way too much money and time on. <laughs>
1: um, when I was younger, like uh, through high school, I had I had wanted to make a career out of music, and um, after high school, I went to college and like I said, minored in music and was playing in uh, bands that whole time. I was playing a lot of music. And then about a couple of years after that, after kind of trying to uh, get a music career started, um, I kind of just got to a point where I just wasn't really happy with it anymore. I wasn't finding the people that I wanted to play with necessarily, like professionally and full time. And uh, music just stopped kind of becoming fun for me because there's such a grind uh, and um, such a work ethic that really just needs to be applied to a career in music. And it um, I just found it stopped being a passion for me and I started not liking it as much. And honestly, as soon as I stopped trying to be a musician and started doing other things, I actually found a, a new love for music because when you're trying to make it a career, you have to be very focused. Everything has to be towards, you know, quote, making it, um, you know, whatever that kind of means to you. And you're not allowed to experiment as much. And I found that as soon as I stopped trying to be a musician professionally, I was actually able to start experimenting with other things. So I started uh, writing and producing hip hop. I started um, getting into other genres and it just became a lot more fun for me. So yeah, so music right now is just kind of a full-time passion, I guess I would call it. <laughs> um, I still do a lot of music and it's it's something that really just kind of fuels the soul and keeps me creative. And um my videography business is kind of a, a what most people would call a side hustle right now. I'm able to get about a part-time income from that. So that's why I'm still obviously working in museums. Um, but I'm still building that up. And if that is able to be... Uh, if I'm able to get a full-time career out of videography, I think I would probably pursue that um, as it kind of builds. And music will just kind of always be there. And for me, everything I learned from being a musician and working in music has, um, just kind of applied to everything else I do, honestly.
0: So why you said that you kind of eventually decided, you know, maybe having music as a full-time career wasn't the best idea. What made you decide or what made you kind of think, okay, well maybe right now is a hard time, but I'll I'll push through. Like what made you actually go, you know what, I'm going to just strictly keep this as my passion and not, pursue making it a full-time career anymore what what made you decide that and do, and do you uh are you glad you made that decision and why
1: you know i it's one of those things. I definitely go back and forth with it. There's uh, there's days where I, I, I think I do wish I could be a full-time musician. And then there's days where it's really nice having a steady income. <laughs> 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 it's really nice to just know a paycheck is showing up and to know what that paycheck is going to be every two weeks. Mm. Um, I think you make compromises on everything. I still love music. But for me, like I said, um, music stopped being fun mm. um, and stopped being something that um, you know creatively Uh, drove me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just couldn't really find the people that, um, I really wanted to make music with. I was finding people, I was working on a, on a full length record, uh, two at the time, actually. And, um, I just didn't find, I was working with the people that had the same drive as me, the same, uh, kind of ambition, I guess that I had. And, um, I knew where there were people where I could have kind of upended and, um, you know, uprooted my whole life and kind of moved out there. And I just, I, at the time, I just wasn't really kind of willing to make that, uh, I guess, gamble, you could mm-hmm. call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that you know, with music and anything creative, if you want to have like a really big, you know, um, a, a career in it, you have to be willing to take some chances and, and get out there. And at the time I was 22, I think, and I just wasn't quite ready to make that jump. Um, so I kind of looked at what I had already and I had an undergraduate degree in history, um, and I started looking at museums and I just really enjoyed museums and actually museums have been great for me because it's a way that I have some stability in my life, but I also get a lot of opportunities to be creative and I love history. Uh, history is just fascinating to me and I just love it. So, um, to me, it's okay that music kind of took a back seat and music, uh, is a lot more fun for me now. I really, I don't think regret. Um, I wouldn't call it regret at mm-hmm. least. I just made a different decision and music is still heavily a part of my life. It's just not, uh, it's just not the, the the money winner
0: for me. Yeah, totally. I think what you said was was really correct in making a a job out of any any creative field really even even videography is there's a big grind towards it and there's a lot of work that has to go in it. So you really really have to commit and and make that decision that this is the thing that I want to do and I'm willing to sacrifice basically everything else <laughs> to get there, <laughs> including all of my money and relationships, um, to have that make like make a job out of it. So, um, mm-hmm. I think you're, you're totally right in the fact that, you know, making that decision and going, you know what, this is just going to be continuously always fun for me. And if I'm not feeling it, I'm not going to do it. And if I am, then I'm going to keep doing it. And that's, I think that's a really good decision because if you, if you go for a full on, you know, I'm doing the grind. It's going to be a grind. And you're a lot of the time going to be like, oh man, what am I doing? But, (laughs) but you, you know, you've, you've made that decision and it pays off hopefully. But, um, I think there's definitely power in deciding that this is going to be my fun thing that I use the money that I make through my steady job (laughs) and
1: and put it all here. Well, I will say I have a lot more gear having a steady job than I ever (laughs) had in gear working as a musician. Um, Totally. Well, and the other thing is, too, is I'm a drummer, so you can pretty much just program all your drums now. So I'm obsolete anyway.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But you know the beats that we want programmed, so there's still value for that. (laughs) So I can just sit at home and program beats. Exactly. I've made the right decision. which I think think it's it's fantastic. (laughs) Um, Cool. So... You know music is is something that brought us together years ago. It's a very funny story how we got connected because we've been working together musically um, and helping each other learn stuff for years now. <laughs> um, so do you want to talk about kind of uh, how we got how we got to know each other? yeah, uh, it's it's a fun story. so um we, we went to the same elementary
1: school, but we didn't really actually formally meet each other. I think until high school. So, about 2008 or 2009, you and I are sitting in the same French class, um, and you lean over to me and go, "Hey, I'm Chuck. Um, you're a drummer, right? I just got a bunch of microphones, and I have like a little uh, like I have a studio at my parents' house. Would you want to come over and help me test these microphones out?" And, and that's pretty much where the whole thing starts is, uh, this, this dude named Chuck just leaned over and said, Hey, do you want to come to my parents' basement and record drums? Um, and, and I'm just realizing now I've been calling you Chuck, but you don't go really by Chuck professionally anymore. No, I
0: was going to, I was going to bring that up next.
1: <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So if you know him as Anna Creates, I know him as Chuck. Yeah. The OG. Yeah.
0: Back in the day, um, that was, yes. <laughs> Continue. We'll, we'll talk about that in a second.
1: Okay, cool. <laughs> That'll be your own origin story. Yes. Um, yeah. So um, I, you know, you invited me over and we went down and you had this like really impressive setup in your parents' house, which like for high school kids, I thought was really impressive. Um, it's like, I, I always called it the, the burlap dungeon because it was this like kind of smaller room in your parents' basement and you had covered all of the walls with like burlap to like insulate it and like sound treat it. And so it was like the tightest sounding room ever because it wasn't that big and there was all that like stuffing and burlap in there. So it was like the tightest sound you could ever mm-hmm. possibly get. Yeah. Um. And yeah, you like I set up my drums and you set up a bunch of microphones and tested a bunch of stuff out. I don't think we even like did anything real. Like we didn't record even a song or anything like that. If memory serves, it That's was
0: just the first time I would no. just kind
1: of play some beats for a little bit. Uh, yeah. I would just play some beats and you would say, okay, cool. Can you just like hit the kick drum like 20 times and hit the Tom a thousand times for two hours? And Um, And then just play some more beats. And we just kind of were, and and that was it. And then we kind of like listened back. We're like, yeah, that sounds good. All right. This was fun. See ya. Um, but honestly it was, it was such a positive first experience. We did it a couple more times. And then, uh, at the time I was in a band called deny the threat, which is kind of also why we're here. Um, and, I just knew that, uh, you know, we were recording an album early on, like a high school album, kind of DIY style. And a couple of the songs on that first album just weren't sounding quite right. So I said, hey, I've been, you know, uh, hanging out with this guy, Chuck, who does recording. Let's try recording these songs with him. So we came to your studio and we recorded four songs and we were really happy with that. And um, the honestly, it was such a good time recording and working with you that we just kind of kept coming back. We ended up doing a, a Soldier Boy cover single with oh, you. Oh, that one. was so good. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) One winter, uh, we were all home for like Christmas from university, and we all came together and did that. And then, like the following spring, we came. And you actually brought us to a different studio that you were working at, mm-hmm. and we recorded a single um, when Sketchy turns to murder, yep. uh, which you know is really cool because that's the first song we play in the reunion uh, set. Yep. Um, and then it came time for us to make our sophomore album, and which you know we had ten songs we wanted to record. And honestly, like when it came time to deciding that we were going to go ahead and do that, it was like no discussion. It was like okay, so somebody call Chuck and let him know we're coming. <laughs> basically, um, we just knew right away we wanted you to, uh, engineer and mix and, uh, produce that album. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, ever since then, we've just kind of been working together on and off, uh, coming together to just experiment and to do, uh, personal projects and other projects and things like that. And, um, you know, anytime anyone asks me anything about audio, I'm just like, oh, just go talk to Chuck. That's who you want. That's who you need. He's, he's amazing. And, uh, yeah, you're my number one guy when it comes to anything audio.
0: And then you, then you add in, you're like, yeah, that's where all my emails go. If you ask me a question, all I'm going to do is send it an email to Chuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I think um that's exactly what how this all started and it's funny because as soon as we started working together then not long after I started working with the band and we mm-hmm. just never stopped working together the was band to this day. we yeah. just kept working together it was like, yeah, that's this is like a great crew. Um, mm-hmm. We spent a lot of hours in that basement as well.
1: <laughs> <A lot. laughs> as it changed, well, it was cool too because um, when I was editing uh, the the deny the threat reunion session, mm. I decided to go back into my like archive drives and pull out some like old footage of us recording because I thought mm-hmm. it'd be kind of fun to see like a before and after kind yep. of thing of everyone. And it's wild how much work you did in that basement that you can see through the footage between totally. like the first time we recorded there when, you were, when your uh, mix room was like right beside and then you yep. moved it to the other side and then you moved it into the bedroom. Like you just kind of kept moving farther and farther yep. away. Yep. <laughs> and it's just, it's wild to see like the evolution of that uh, that basement studio and how you basically took over your entire parents' basement. <laughs>
0: yes. Yeah. So for, for people that don't know, basically... What I did is, uh, when I was in high school, well, before high school, actually I was in grade six or seven when I first kind of built the thing. Um, and I just like, I basically took over a room downstairs and put a wall in it with a window. Cause I knew I needed like a slanted window to for sound. I don't know. I just, this is what I had read and this is what I had learned. So that's what I did. And then I just <laughs> bought as much sound insulation as possible to put it just stuff it in the walls and then I covered it in burlap because burlap was cheap and we had a lot of it so it became the burlap dungeon <laughs> as, <laughs> as so many people uh know now because we spent a lot of time down there with multiple different bands and um and funny thing is that all that insulation it's made the the room very dead for like drums and stuff but it did not really isolate from anywhere else <laughs> and that and that room was right below my parents' bedroom so all they could hear all day was drums I, like oh, god bless their soul cuz man they put up with a lot when i was doing that yeah but, you uh, had
1: some supportive parents oh man i
0: you know i i don't thank them enough to be honest but man were they they were so supportive but you bring up a really interesting thing with with the, the evolution of that little studio and just the evolution of both of our skills and both of our careers uh, with music and with pretty much everything. It all seems to tie together somehow um, over the years has been really interesting. Like we started together when I first got a set of mics and I was like, I don't know how to record drums myself. Like I've been helping with sessions, and I've been doing stuff, but like I don't. I've never actually done this. Let's okay. Malcolm, I need help. <laughs> and then every time I would like get a new, you know, area to, to, to record with, like I'd move the control room around and, and it would be like, I need something to try this out with. It's like, Hey, Malcolm, <laughs> <laughs> I need, I need some help. Let's, yes. you know, come record. <laughs> and um, hey, I was down. I was always down, <laughs> always down. And I think that's a really uh, a really cool thing that we, developed and our our relationship is we always helped each other out with uh learning and like the first time you came over and you know we're like playing the kick drum for an hour while I tried to figure out how to make it sound half decent um (laughs) (laughs) but that led into you know you didn't you didn't kind of tell me oh okay yeah cool that was great thanks man it was like okay, I'll come back again and I'll come back again. And I helped you with, you know, getting used to being in the studio and recording. Cause as Mm -hmm. you're well aware, that's very different from just playing live. Um, and so we kind of, we worked together to help each other out with our projects and learning different things. And that relationship kept growing and led to some really, really neat situations and uh places we've recorded in a bunch of different studios now haven't we yeah i mean it's been phenomenal honestly it's it's you know
1: because I just said yes to this kid in French class uh, one time, um, you know. Because of you, I've actually gotten to record at OYART in London twice, uh, mm-hmm. which is a phenomenal facility and recording studio. Um, teaching school, obviously, that you were a student at. Yep. Um, and then, in addition to when you worked at uh, Noble Street Studios in Toronto, you invited me to come up there to do um, some ex- some drum miking experimentation stuff like that. So, yeah, it's it's really because I've had such a great working relationship with you, I've gotten to record at Oyard, Noble Street Studios, and now SG Studios, too, and Mm -hmm. The Swamp before that, its first incarnation. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it's really, to me, it's just kind of a lesson in, um, you know, have some value in the people that you get to work with, too, and Mm -hmm. just take every opportunity as an opportunity to do something and to learn something. And, you You know, if it's sketchy, obviously say no, because sometimes sketchy turns to murder. (laughs) Ha ha! But, uh, you know, when I first met you, it was just like, oh, this sounds like a cool opportunity. I I had recorded drums a little bit on my own before that, Mm -hmm. but I had never actually been to a real recording studio of any kind or had anyone record me. Right. I had this little Yamaha board um, that could uh, record two XLR tracks um, through like a USB out, and then I figured out that... um, You could expand that to four if you were a little creative. And so I could record my drums with like four microphones and that's it. Mm -hmm. And they sounded like trash. I think I was recording in like Logic Pro 7 or something like Mm. that. Or Logic Pro 7 Express, actually. (laughs) 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 Back when they had like the light version you could buy at like Long and Quaid. Yeah. So like, that's all I had ever done. So it was just, to me, it was like, oh, that sounds like a really good opportunity. I'm in a band. I want to be in bands. I knew I was going to record albums eventually. So like, if someone was willing to help me kind of learn that. And like you said, too, like recording in the studio is so different than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like it takes a lot of patience and it's the most humbling thing you'll do because you think you're so good as a drummer especially when you're in high school um you're like oh, i can play fast and i can play all these cool fills and i'm so great and then someone records you and then zooms into the grid and you see how far off you really are yeah or like how you're always ahead or you're always behind kind of thing and it's like oh wow like that's it's very humbling mm-hmm. um so i just jumped at the opportunity and i think that's the thing is like um I love experimenting. I love kind of pushing boundaries and pushing limits. And and you're definitely the same way. Like mm. I remember, you know, the first time we recorded together, we recorded with eight mics um, in your basement. But when we went to noble street studios, we recorded with 26 microphones yep. in that room. Yep. And I just remember that like, Oh shit. Like, yeah. Chuck is Chuck is at another level now. Like this is awesome. Good for him. And I'm, I was just so grateful that I even had the opportunity to be brought in for something mm. like that, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I want to touch on that exact, uh, that thing where I had that opportunity and that, and Noble street, uh, to give some timeline to this, like we started recording in my basement in like what grade nine or 10 or something. And then Noble street was five years later or something like a a while later. And we maintained our relationship, obviously with the band and with just always working together. And when I had an opportunity at noble street, um, I was an intern there and then I was an assistant and I was assisting a bunch of sessions. And I was like, I want, I had a free day, um, that was available. And I called up Malcolm and I'm like, Hey man, I know it's Boxing Day, but, like, yeah. <laughs> I have a free day at Noble Street. You're coming, right? And you're like, yeah, no, yeah, totally, 100%.
1: <laughs> I think you gave me, like, a total of, like, four days' notice, too. Yep. Like, yep. like, it was, like, Christmas Eve Eve, and, <laughs> and I just get, like, a, a, a Facebook inbox from you, and you're just like, hey, man, like, there's a free day at Noble. Can you pack up your drums and get to Toronto on Boxing Day? I'm like... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like no contest. I'm there. Like, and that was my first time ever at the studio, um, which, oh my God. it's. I mean, it's everything you dream of when you dream of like a big time studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and just being there was just so cool. Um, and, but yeah, it was like, that was not an opportunity I was going to miss.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the fact that you, like you got that opportunity based on the fact that I wanted to work with you and I had been working with you and, and Uh, experimenting with you basically with audio for a long time at that point. And it it stems from the very first thing. And I think this is a very interesting and valuable lesson for musicians, for freelancers in videography, in music production, anything to do with a creative field is how the first time that you came to my basement, you could have been like, oh boy, like this isn't a studio. The guy said it was a studio and he's got, you know, eight input, like sure. He doubled my amount of inputs, but, but like, Oh boy. I'm going to die here. Yeah. And, but you were like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to see the value in this. Uh, and I'm going to, you know, play around with this. And even though I'm hitting a kick drum, I'll try, I'll come back again. And, and you gave that chance to that. And it, led to a very fruitful relationship down the line. And I think, you know, uh, recording at Oyart, we had the same thing. Like, I think I gave you maybe a week notice at one point. Like, hey, man, come up here. I need somebody to play drums for a
1: class project. Oh, yeah. No, that was like the same thing. I think I posted on Facebook that uh, I was coming home for American Mm. Thanksgiving because I went to to college in the States. And like within 10 minutes, I get an inbox notification. And it's Chuck. And he's like... Man, if you're coming home for the weekend, you should pack up your drums and come to London so we can record drums.
0: Uh, I always seem to hit the holidays, apparently. Whenever you're on holidays, I'm like, hey, man, come on. Let's get over here with your drums. (laughs) Uh, Get home. Tune your drums that you haven't played for like two months. (laughs) Come to London. (laughs) Come to London. I still want you here. Come on, let's go. Um, But I think it's a very valuable lesson in the fact that you saw the value in that and you continued to see the value in that and learned for yourself um, through those experiences. Because as we talked about, maybe you can talk a little bit about this, is is you didn't just sit there in my basement or when we went to Oyart and just go, oh my God, I'm sitting here hitting a kick drum. Like, what am I doing? You saw a valuable point uh, to being there for yourself. Can you, do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, To me,
1: you know, and this was a hard thing to learn and, it, and, it, and I still work on it a lot of times, but just always seeing the learning opportunity in, in anything um, it, to me is so essential and so necessary when you're trying to do anything. So for me, like, you know, if I was just going to be sitting there hitting a kick drum for, for a while, like, that's okay, but what I was doing was I was observing kind of like where you were putting the microphones, why you were putting the microphones there. Um, I remember in that, like, first O'Yard session, that's when I learned about microphone phase issues mm. and stuff like that, and that was was something I never even knew about, never had heard about. Like I had no idea that if you put multiple microphones around someplace, they wouldn't all necessarily line up and sound good mm. together because they would cancel each other out. Um, so learning about something like that that's so essential to recording, especially drums, where you're always using multiple microphones. Um, just using every opportunity to to learn something new and to improve your skills. Like I said, I um had already started experimenting recording my own drums, and now it's honestly because of all the work we've done together. I I recorded drums in my own uh kind of basement studio now yeah um that i have set up and i know what i'm doing like i know where to put these microphones and uh anytime we get together i'm kind of always just checking out how you're setting things up i'm like oh why are you doing the um the overheads in this xy formation as opposed to like a you know a matched kind of stereo Mm -hmm. spread Mm -hmm. Um, just like those little things you know always try to you know if you're doing something a little mundane just do your mundane thing really really well so you don't piss anyone off yeah and then just look around and try to just observe what's going on around you and see if there's anything you can be learning. Um, I kind of did the same thing, too. Like, you know, when we were recording an album and I'm not recording, maybe I'm just like sitting there and uh, Emmett's recording guitar I would just try to pay attention to the language they were using in terms of communicating how they wanted to get the tones they wanted to get, what they were doing, how often they were changing strings, how often they were tuning their guitars, Um, you know, just little things like that. There's always something to learn and something to pick up that you just never know that's going to be useful for you later at a different time. Mm. So that's just always a a huge value that I see in any opportunity is the, uh, the ability to learn and, and do something a little bit new. And I guess to that point too, that's where, you know, when you work in a studio and you work with different people, like you want to be reliable and learning how to be reliable is, is, is a real skill. Mm. Um, you know, when you gave me that call to, come to Toronto to record, that was, you know, hung up the phone. And I said, wow, this is awesome. Oh, I need to practice. Like, like, (laughs) I need to get I need to be sure that I'm ready for something like this. Because like, you were operating on a pretty high level at that point. And Mm -hmm. like, you know, we all expected it. But, you know, if if I was going to be the guy that you called to come in and play drums at that kind of a studio, I wanted to be reliable. I wanted to be, you know, at the top of my game. Mm. And like, hey, yeah, yeah, I've never been like the greatest drummer in the world, obviously. Like I, I do my thing and I have fun. But what to me is more important when you're working in these kinds of environments with these kinds of people is that you just want to be reliable. And if what they need you to do is to sit there and hit a kick drum so that they can get the best sounding kick drum of their life, then like do that well don't be so concerned with um, you know playing a blast beat at 200 bpm or something mm-hmm. like that or showing off how how awesome your linear fills are you know <laughs> play the kick drums strong and hard like they tell you to mm-hmm. and that'll get that'll get you the callback. that'll make you reliable and that you know sometimes it's more valuable to be the guy that people like working with and people can rely on rather mm-hmm. than being the best player out there
0: i think i think that's a, a really good point is you want to be somebody that that people want to work with. Like you can have all the talent in the world, but if nobody likes actually being in your presence, <laughs> then that doesn't really, you don't get callbacks. You don't, it, there's nothing, you know, that doesn't work for people. Um, and I think that's a, that's a very, uh, a good thing for freelancers to realize. And for anybody in a creative mm, field is mm-hmm. trying to get your name out there. You need to be that type of a person. And, you know, that's a it's a soft skill that is not necessarily uh, natural, but, you know, you got to you got to learn how how to do that and be the person that people want to work with, because I mean, and that's that goes back to why we've worked together for so long, I think, is. I want to work with you. You, you push my limits, uh, when I'm recording, <laughs> um, <laughs> I push your. <laughs> how can <laughs> I make guy. this mic not clip because he's way too loud. Okay. No, 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 no. I can do this. I can do this. But like you said, when you would come to <laughs> noble street and you're like, okay, yeah, he's working at this level. I got to make sure I'm at that level. And it pushes your creative endeavors. Um, and it pushes your limits, which is exactly what you need uh, I think as a creative person. Um, and I think that's why we've worked together for so long is one, we like working together. Like it goes both ways where you need to be somebody that, that pushes their limits as well as is somebody they want to work with and continue to work with.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And I will say too, I think that is sort of the unsung, um, Or uh, maybe just the underrated um, view of an engineer Mm -hmm. is someone like I think a lot of people see um, audio engineers as like, oh, yeah, they're great. You know, they you know, they hit record Mm -hmm. that is needed. Mm -hmm. Um, But to me, um, the reason you are my go to engineer um, above anyone else is because we work well together in the studio and you push me to get the parts I need to get. Um, and to me that is one thing that is really overlooked with engineers because like I think a lot of people assume that's always up to the producer mm-hmm. and the producer sometimes can be that person but to me in my experience anytime I've recorded in any studios it's always the engineer that's like sitting there that's like no you' you're falling behind or that fill was good but it wasn't clean enough and um, mm-hmm. and it takes uh, a couple kind of goes at it to kind of develop those relationships I think with those engineers especially as a drummer where it is so physically uh, demanding sometimes depending on the music you're playing but um Mm -hmm. i think i'm just at a point with uh, with you and recording where i know that i can go into the studio and you're going to be real with me you're going to tell me when i need to push it harder and you're going to also tell me when i can like lay off a little bit i think Mm -hmm. we recorded like a cover song one time and i was asking i was like what do you think he's like man you're and and what you said was man you're playing all the parts right but i think you're feeling a little too much like save it for later like Mm -hmm. you're feeling a lot in this section." try to pull some of those back, and then in the last section, then just Go nuts, and it was it was the perfect it was the perfect choice. It mm-hmm. really it really made the song explode. And I know that was kind of a bit of a producer thing, but it was also a bit of an engineer thing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you could uh, you want to work with people that are going to push you to be the best you can be, especially in these kind of creative fields. And once you find those relationships, um, you know, you work at them and, and you you make them last, and you kind of keep going back to the people that you know you're going to get the performance out of them that you that you expect, and that uh, people that are going to get your performance out of you too Mm -hmm. is just as important.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, that's so true. One thing that I, I want to talk about is we started really early on. know like getting to know each other and having like a network of people, which we're going to talk about the deny the threat group in a minute. Um, but, I think that put the boys on the the boys, (laughs) but, but, um, you know, we started the, the whole thing of networking and getting to know each other and getting to work together and doing lots of projects together. And networking to me is, is such an important thing, uh, in, in any creative field, because as we know, the music industry, especially when you get in it is a very small, (laughs) very small industry. Uh, everybody knows everybody you know, networking, maintaining a network and maintaining your, your connections, which is kind of, uh, what we're talking about is so important. You know, uh, you're reliable and that's something that is a, a good way to maintain a connection really, because if you weren't reliable, that wouldn't really help with having a connection because I'd be like, well, I'm not going to call Malcolm. He, every time he shows up to play drums, he's, kind of sucks, hasn't practiced for a week. This doesn't really work for me. I'm going to find somebody else, you know, but what can you give some advice for maintaining connections and for maintaining or creating a network? Absolutely. And, um, there are different kinds of networks. I'll just say that much. There's sort of your professional
1: network of like people you work with and kind of, um, like work off of. And then there's kind of your network of, uh, clients, I would say, especially if we're kind of looking at the comparison between the music industry and the and the videography kind mm-hmm. of world. Um, there's kind of those two different kinds of networks of people you work with and, um, that kind of inspire you. And then people you sort of work for as uh, with clients in, in that respect to me, um, when you're working Working uh, With people, you know, you just you just got to, like you said, you got to be reliable. You got to be the guy that shows up, and uh, people know that they can rely on you, and that you're going to get the job done at the end of the day, and that you're going to bring the same kind of quality to their work that you would anyone else's work. Mm-hmm. Um, with building connections with uh, clients and that kind of network. Um, You know, you got to be someone that they want to work with and that they have a positive experience working with. Um, Personally, like take the wedding videography industry, for example, whether it's photography or videography. Every client that I've gotten uh, a a wedding video gig from has been a referral. It's been someone that said, oh, um, you did a video for my sister or my cousin or something like that. Or um, I was at this wedding and I saw the video and it was great. Um, All of those clients come from referrals and they ask um, those people I shot the video for. They don't just see the final product. They say, hey, how was it working with him? Was he cool? Was Mm -hmm. he professional? Did he show up on time? Did he give you what you were looking for? Did he just do whatever he wanted to do? Um, so in terms of networking to, to gain clients and things like that, I think that's so important. And to me, um, it kind of comes back to a saying that actually deny the threat used to have. So we used to like, you know, we were, a we were your average high school band. I would say, mm. you know, we, um, I don't think we ever played for more than like a hundred people at a time. We played a lot of small clubs, a lot of small venues, and we, like, DIY'd a lot of our own shows where, you know, anywhere between 20 and 70 people would show. Mm -hmm. And we developed kind of a mantra that we would just say to each other, and that was, um, just because there's half a crowd doesn't mean we give half a performance. And that was something that we really internalized. It was like, you know, every time we hit the stage, we wanted to give a full, complete show. Like, you know, it didn't matter if we weren't playing Uh, the Rogers Center or Madison Square Gardens, we were going to play that tiny little club like we were Mm -hmm. um, and give that kind of a show. And there's another saying in the music industry that uh, you're only as good as your last performance. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I always take those kind of ideas to heart and really kind of internalize them and remember them and just like treat everyone like they're your most, like they are your most important client. So it doesn't matter if it's, um, you know, a dude doing his first music video for $400 or it's a corporate client paying a couple of grand for promotional videos, treat them with the same kind of respect and compassion that you would anyone else because that's really so important. You just never know what client is going to come back to you more than once, Mm -hmm. uh, despite how good you are or not. Cause it might be that, you know, someone in marketing at this company has a connection with a bigger firm that you can't compete with. But that, uh, that person that had their first music video with you, you gave them time, you know, you, you respected them and you you respected their art and what they were trying to do. And they're going to come back to you three more times for three more music videos. And already you've, gotten more out of that client than you have, um, that one-time big payout client. So it's just always something to kind of consider is that treat everyone like they're the big client and, uh, just don't forget, you know, just because it's a small time gig doesn't mean you should give a small time performance.
0: Totally. And, and I think that that small band might come back to you four more times for something. And, and it's a very, turns out to be a very fruitful client. Whereas the big client that you thought, Oh, this is my big break turns out to, Oh, no, they don't really care anymore, you know, and it, it doesn't work, but you also don't realize who's connected to who. And I think that's the most interesting part about networking and how everybody else has their own network. Um, and who actually knows who, because that small band might come to you and then, you know, the, the lead singer's dad works for some huge company. And because his son had a good time, with you they'll he'll you know call you up and go hey i need a bunch of stuff for my company and you next thing you know you're working with a huge company or a, a bigger band or whatever the case may be you, you just never know who actually is connected to who because it's it is a small small world these days. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely.
1: And, and that's the thing too, is like your reputation will precede you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a reputation of being very good to work with and, um, you know, even if your quality can't is beat out by the other companies, if you're better to work with, people will come back to you. Mm-hmm. You know, people want to work with good people, especially in these very creative fields where you have to will be willing to be flexible. You have to communicate at a very high level, mm-hmm. um, and, and efficiently too. So if, um, you know, if the, it, from a video, perspective if you only have a 1080p camera but you're very good to work with you listen to the client and you delivered what the client wanted Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if the guy beside you has a has a red weapon camera yeah if they're a jerk to work with, then it doesn't matter. So it's, it's these soft skills that like really pay off in the long run. And if you treat them like they are an important client to you, like every client, then I think, you know, you'll see them come back and you'll foster these really great relationships. Chuck, I think there's actually a story that you could share on this in terms of having like some preconceived notions about a client, but, uh, you know, you handled yourself professionally and I, I would say that definitely worked (laughs) out for you.
0: (laughs) I think I know the story you're talking about. Um, (laughs) yes, it's a good one. Yeah. So You can't go into a project with preconceived notions. You can't judge a book by its cover, basically. And that really, really, really hit home to me uh, because I was working on a a session uh, once and I will never forget this uh, as long as I live. And I love to share this story because I think it's so valuable. And so I was working at Noble Street and this guy you know, the session I was booked on comes in and, and it's some, I don't know, he was 16, 17 year old kid who seemed to have some money behind him paying for the studio. He'd never really recorded before. And, you know, we're, we're all, you know, in the back kind of going, Oh, okay. You know, interesting who like who's this session. We've never heard of him. Don't know anything about this kid, but somebody's paying the bills, so that's okay, great. Like, <laughs> Someone's paying the bills. <laughs> and uh and I've always had to kind of, you know, I treat everybody with that respect of, and it this kind of hit home uh the fact that that was that's the right decision to do is to treat everybody like they're the biggest client in the world um because this kid comes in and we record and the nicest guy you know super nice kid and and what i'd heard is he had some kind of following on instagram or vine or or something and i was like okay whatever you know some some guys got some instagram followers wants to make some songs okay great i didn't know any anymore but i treated him like he was you know top priority and we got, we had a great relationship. You know, I got to know him over quite a while while he recorded. And uh, anyway, fast forward, that song uh, ended up being a song called Life of the Party. And the artist ended up being Sean Mendez, who at the time was nobody and turned into, you know, who we know as one of the biggest artists. <laughs> out there these days. <laughs> um, but it just goes back to the fact that, you know, I treated him with with utmost respect, like he was some big client, and it turned out to be that way. And he's a very um, a very uh, family-oriented person. So the family that he created and the group, uh, the team that he created that worked on that, those first songs, he still uses a lot of them today. Um, on all of his records, he ended up coming back to the studio for pretty much every record in some capacity or another, as he grew bigger, he still wanted to do that because those first experiences were really positive and he really liked being there and it really was, was really good. And, and, and he liked that. And before he was super famous, even I wanted to be like, Oh, this guy's awesome. Like he's not because necessarily his music was good. I mean, it was, but because I liked working with him and I was like, this guy is really respectful. He's, you know, not a mm-hmm. uh, conceited, you know, even though he very, very well could have been, uh, but he was super nice. And, and I think that goes to any, anybody working with anybody is I could have before it even started gone. Great. Well, whatever, this is not going to go well, but I didn't. And and that ended up being, you know, the best decision I <laughs> could have ever had. Um, yeah. but I, I think that's so important to have that, uh, mentality going into that. And then, as you said, that's a soft skill that isn't, you, you have to learn. And I think it's super important.
1: It's hard too cause you do work some, you know, you're going to always work with some people you don't want to work with, mm. whether it's a musician and the sound guy is kind of a jerk mm-hmm. or, <clears throat> or, you know, you're, or if you're in video and the client is just very demanding and unwilling to do anything like creative or fun and they really want just like the most boring generic video, yep. like you got to find the silver lining in anything. My mom actually has a really great uh, saying. So my mom was a French teacher. Uh, she just retired after 34 years. Mm. And um, sometimes when I get like really frustrated with someone that I'm working with or anything like that, my mom always said that you know with all of her students, she tried to find one thing she could like or appreciate in every single one of her students. Mm. At least one thing. And just kind of always... Reminded herself of that and kind of thought about that because it made it so that she was able to stay professional mm-hmm. and do what her job needed her to do. And for her, like it was a really important job, you know, teaching kids is especially at the grade school level and getting them ready for everything life has to throw at them. Like that's really important. So, you know, my mom was really committed to not giving up on anyone and um, not just being like, oh, you're a jerk kid. I'm mm-hmm. not going to teach you. She would try to find at least one thing she liked or could appreciate about every one of her students and just kind of just really focused on that. And that way she was able to do her job, mm-hmm. get, uh, get done and, and
0: retire. I think that's very, very interesting because I've had sessions before and I'm sure you've had clients like this before too, or connections of any kind really, where you think that it's not going well. You think you're like, Oh man, this guy's, kind of a bit of a jerk, but you still treat them with the utmost respect and you still, you know, you make it the best project you've, you could possibly make it. You know, it's, you're only as good as your last gig. Same kind of thing. You, you just give it your all, you do as much, even if they're not reciprocating, you know, when it's Mm -hmm. done, you get through it. And then when it's done, you kind of go, okay, well, maybe I might be a little busy next time they call, but you know, I made it through it and everything's fine. And then you don't find out till a little bit later and they're like, you hear from somebody else and they're like, oh, they had the best experience working with you and they've recommended you to 20 other bands and they just, and I'm like mm, sitting there going, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. really? I thought they were a piece of work. <laughs> like That wasn't really interesting, but it can sometimes take a while for that to show up, but it just shows how important maintaining those things and like making sure that you treat everybody like that because you never know when it's going to come back to you in weird ways. Yeah.
1: No, I, I 100% agree with that, man. Um, you know, that's something what I would call sort of like a, um, like a social investment Mm. kind of thing, um, where, you know, you, you kind of, you spend a little bit of the upfront money and time to just, you know, make sure it was positive and make sure it went well. And, you know, you might not see an ROI on that for a long Mm -hmm. time, but, uh, when you do, it's, it's going to be good. And, And that's hard, man. It takes a lot of patience and a lot of time to develop that kind of soft skill to just know that, like, you have to put in those little investments, those Mm -hmm. little social investments of positivity and good experiences, knowing that they might not pay off for a long time, if ever, Mm -hmm. but they might just, like, but the ROI might not be direct, too. It might not be that person coming back to you. It might be someone else coming back to you, a totally different client. And, you know, you just don't want to be that. You don't want to put yourself in a situation where you decided to get a little self-righteous or a little up on your high horse and say like, oh, I don't have to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean, you know, you should ever put yourself in abusive um, situations or anything Mm -hmm. like that by Mm -hmm. all means. But, you know, I think it's, you know, where the line is, you know, where the line is and, you know, when, you know, and as long as you stay professional and you stay positive, like you know, it'll manifest eventually. Yeah. Um, it might not be for a while and you might not even realize that this manifested from that other experience. Totally, oh, totally. It might never be even that obvious to you. But uh, yeah, it's those long-term investments that I think are just so important. And,
0: and there's a high percentage of them, to be honest, that don't pay off. But the one yeah. or two that do really really make every other one of them worth it, you know, Uh, because sometimes they'll come back in ways you could not even imagine. A lot of the time, like I've found that sometimes it comes back in the weirdest ways where I'm like, (laughs) really that happened because of that and that guy knowing this guy and that like, how does that even work? (laughs) But it does. And if you even ever figure out how it comes back, but like you said, a lot of your Videos and your work, um, like wedding work, is from referrals. Which some of them you may know, some of them you may never know. That just shows how much how powerful that is in word of mouth. And uh, it kind of goes to the to the networking thing. Is word of mouth is so 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 key, especially in creative fields. One thing that I want to touch on is that fact that building those connections and being that person that people want to work with and everything. Sometimes it seems like it's a slow grind, and it might not be, you know, the instant payoff that you want, but <laughs> it ends up being the longer lasting uh solid foundation for something. Because, you know, we've all been beat out on projects by somebody who can do something cheaper and faster and you know, theoretically higher quality. You know, you're sitting there with your 1080p camera and the next guy has a 4k or 8k red camera and can do it for half the price and in, in, you know, a fourth, a quarter of the time. And you're like, how does that even work? But yet <laughs> what ends up happening is people don't like working with them or there's something weird going on and they can't maintain it. The other, the the clients don't like it and they'll end up coming to you or, you know, you see that, that People that come to you then go, oh, I'm just going to keep coming to this guy. Like, maybe he doesn't have the best quality, but he's growing. He's going to be... And they invest in you as well in the same respect.
1: Yeah. I think a great example of that is actually my business partner, uh, Trevor. He is a phenomenal photographer, but his philosophical approach to photography is really about getting the best image in camera. Mm. He doesn't really do much uh, post processing. He doesn't, you know, put every through. A, he doesn't put every photo through Photoshop. People love hiring Trevor and working with Trevor, though. Mm-hmm. Um, he beats out so many people that like will Photoshop the crap out of your photo and make it look like a billboard poster or something Mm -hmm. like that but when people work with trevor i mean they're just smiling and laughing and having a great time because he brings such an amazing energy to every one of his shoots he makes his clients feel so welcomed Mm -hmm. and uh friendly and just like they're having a good time when they shoot with him and that's why he consistently gets calls from the same people and more and more people because they're like yeah go shoot with trevor he makes you feel welcome he makes you feel comfortable Mm -hmm. and you just have fun shooting with him and you love the photos because you know especially in a medium like that he works with a a lot of models and you know it's really tricky sometimes to get a genuine like laugh or genuine smile mm-hmm. out of a model and that's not like you know smile okay they smile but like make them smile yep. kind of thing like th- there's a big difference in in those two photos and that's where trevor really really is just so talented mm-hmm. and it's great to and it's fun to just watch him work honestly mm-hmm. like sometimes i'll just go on his shoots just to watch him work because he just brings this magnetic energy mm-hmm. to all of his shoots and and that's why I think like if you want to talk about like you know technically I would say he's not bringing as much quote quality because he's not putting all of his photos through um, Photoshop mm. like someone else is mm. but he's bringing an experience with his art and that's why people want to work with him is because they have such a positive experience with him and on top of that his work just speaks for himself he I don't know how he does it man like you he'll take a photo and just show me like he'll just hand me the camera and I'm looking at him like this looks perfectly edited like how is this photo so like creamy like, right I don't get it. right he's just so talented at getting like just an amazing in-camera image mm. and that's where he put a lot of his time was learning how to get the uh the you know the photo in camera Right. And you know, that, uh, and I think, you know, that translates very well to audio too. You know, a lot of people say, you know, get it at the source. Don't say you'll fix it in post Mm -hmm. like all that kind of stuff. So like, yeah, it's, it's really weird how like the music industry and the video photo industry, like they, they really cross over in so many weird ways that way. Yeah.
0: It's kind of mind boggling sometimes to be honest, (laughs) but I think you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I think that kind of sums up a lot of what we, what we've been saying and it puts a nice little bow on it is the experience. You want to bring an experience to people. You can be the best person ever talent-wise, you can have the most talent, but if you're, it's not a good experience working with them, that's not going to matter. Being able to bring other things besides just the skill that you have to a session, having an overall package and overall, overall experience is so, so important. And I think that's something that a lot of people kind of forget about, and this is turning a little bit, but knowing more than just the thing that you're doing. Uh, knowing a little bit more about everything in and around what you're doing. So the communication before the session and the, um, you know, just being able to hang out during the session when things are going wrong, you know how to calm people, the, the people skills and the everything surrounding that. I find that a lot, like I might be a good engineer and people like what I record, but they also like how instantly I can give them the files right away when I'm done. I'm efficient at what I do. I, mm. you know, my emails are crafted nicely where they feel like they're talking to a person, not a robot, um, <laughs> you know, and, and all of that adds up to people wanting to work with you. I want to pivot this a little bit, going back to the deny the threat project. One thing that we found, uh, and that I think, you know, you said was, was really nice. And, Those other skills that we have. So I work in video as well, and you do a bit of audio. So we kind of cross over, even though on the Deny the Threat project, like I was engineering um, and you were doing the video. But during the planning, we had to communicate. And the fact that we both kind of know a bit about the other person's world made a world of difference in the planning and execution of this project, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree. It was one of those things where I think um, we were just speaking the same language when we were communicating about how to plan this out. Mm -hmm. It really fell on the two of us to kind of figure out the logistics of how this would work. And uh, knowing that I had an audio background, I knew things that you would be concerned about that I could kind of work around. And you knew things about You know that I would be concerned about that you could work around, Mm -hmm. and I think that was really great. I think a good example of that is actually the floor plan of how the band was set up. Mm -hmm. Um, So initially, we had kind of talked about um, the band kind of being set up in a um, like a stage setting with the drummer um, drums in the back, and then the 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 other three guys up on the front. And we realized that that wasn't really going to look that good for video because kind of uh, people are going to be in shadow. So we kind of played with a bunch of different things. And we, you know, talked about having the, all the amps kind of on the back wall to kind of be nice props. But then obviously that wasn't going to sound as good. So, um, you know, your priority was getting really good sounds So we talked about moving the amps to isolation booths so that they could be mic'd up in booths and then um, it was just us on the floor so really just drums and vocals were being actually recorded on the floor and everything else was kind of being patched to different rooms Mm -hmm. and stuff like that and it was just these little details that like you and I were very flexible about we went back and forth I mean um, even showing up the day of we realized that the drums you know we had this floor plan and we showed up and realized the drums didn't sound the best where we had them planned to be set up if we actually moved them over here they would sound that much better Better. And obviously as a drummer, I was like, yes, let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we rearranged this floor plan like right there and right then and there, but then we made it work with the cameras and everything like that. So yeah, I think it's, it's always helpful to kind of know if you're working with people kind of cross industries uh, to know a little bit about their industry so you can sp- uh, speak the same language. It's kind of how I got into videography, to be honest. I was in Deny the Threat and we were doing music videos and we just re- really weren't getting what I wanted in terms of our kind of visual representation in music video. Mm -hmm. So I started learning about the craft, learning about how cameras worked and how shots are composed and everything like that, Um, just so I could speak the same language to the videographers that we were going to be working with. And uh, eventually I just got to a point where I was like, oh, okay, well, I figured out enough. I can just do it on my own now. Mm
0: -hmm. You know, (laughs) what would happen is is you'd be recording the video and you'd be like, well, I want a shot like this. And they'd be like, okay, Mr. Drummer, man, what do you know? Like you're using the wrong terminology, everything. They just instantly go, yeah, you don't know what's going on. But as soon as you knew a little bit more and could you know communicate correctly you get a better result because they believe you know what you're talking about even if you only know surface level you at least have a base knowledge that then just ups everybody's expectations and everybody's work that they're putting in i think yeah absolutely i would i would definitely agree with that so let's talk a little bit about the project let's 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 talk about some fun uh, aspects of this project so deny the threat uh, what is this Deny the Threat project exactly? Because I think we've kind of teased it, um, but we haven't really talked about exactly what it is. <laughs>
1: yeah, fair enough. So for a little context, um, you know, the video was released last week. Um, I'm so proud of it. I think it's just phenomenal. It was the definitely the highlight of my 2019 to be able to shoot something like that, as well as just do something like that too. It was just so rewarding of a project to do. Um, but yeah, basically the band started um, in high school. I think we were in grade 10-ish when we started the band. And at first it was called Short Circuit. And then we renamed the band towards the end of high school to Deny the Threat. And then the band lasted about uh, four or five years after that. And then uh, we just kind of got to a point where we were all spread out. Um, Emmett O'Reilly, one of the guitarists and vocalists, was in Toronto. Uh, Travis Jakes was in southern Ontario uh, working. He's the other uh, vocalist and guitarist. Max was at Mohawk learning jazz bass, and I was in Michigan still in school. And we just kind of were just too spread apart, and so we finally called it quits. Um, But that was after having recorded two full-length albums, done a few music videos, and some kind of like local touring kind of stuff. Anyway, so we had kind of like splintered off, but we all continued working together, um, in one way or in another. Um, you know, I would work with Emmett on some stuff. Emmett and Travis worked together on some stuff. Uh, Chuck, you obviously, uh, did stuff with, uh, Emmett's independent records and you, um, you know, did Travis Travis's bands, uh, first full length record. Yep. You helped write and produce that. That was super awesome. And you and I had kind of periodically gotten together to record as well. So we were all still very heavily in communication and we every time we would all get together we would kind of say something like oh wouldn't it be fun to like do something together again like you know re-record an old song or something like that and we kind of had these ideas just sort of pitched around for a while but then eventually um i just kind of got to a point where i was like i am tired of talking about this let's actually do something mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. um i think i i just started an email chain and i just sent like a like a three page long pitch basically to everyone that was like, Hey, we've been talking about doing this for a while. I really want to do it. Here's what I think we should do. Um, our live show was always one of the, like the best parts of the band, but we also did some really cool studio stuff. So I came up with the idea that we do like a live off the floor studio set of four songs. Um, and I kind of offered songs that I thought, you know, we had recorded, but I thought it would be really cool to just get better or updated recordings of them. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of inspired because I actually was high about a year ago by a band called uh, Soul Priority they're a wedding uh, band and uh, they wanted to record two songs and shoot video for the songs to use as promo to get more wedding gigs so I actually went in and they did sort of two songs kind of off the floor uh live and I recorded all the audio mixed and mastered it and then also did the um the video for it too so I had I had played with this idea before so I kind of knew how to approach it and what could be accomplished and the idea was let's just do this and let's just do it for fun let's just get together for a weekend have a day of practicing and setting it up mm-hmm. and then have a day of uh, shooting it and just hang out and just have fun and the, the agreement was we would all do it for free mm-hmm. so I wasn't getting paid for the video um, we would all just do it for the fun of doing it and that was really the key and so um, once everyone was agreed and was on board and thought this was a good idea um, a lot of work went into practicing and uh, getting everything set up like we've kind of been talking about mm-hmm. Chuck you and I obviously spent a lot of time figuring Figuring out logistics, trying to figure out like, okay, what are all the inputs we need? Uh, where can we even record this? Um, you know, how much gear do we need to amass yeah, to, yeah. Uh, between like all of us to to pull this off? Um, one thing I did was um, I actually transcribed all of my drums oh my God, for the yes. four tracks um, <laughs> and programmed them, and then figured out the tempo markings for everything because a lot of these songs have like changing um, time signatures and some tempo jumps and things like that. So I figured all of that out. putting together into a single session and then sent that out so then everyone was uh, practicing to my program drums so then when we showed up for the session everyone pretty much knew what the expectations were and we were ready to go and so I spent a couple months, just religiously practicing those parts because mm-hmm. I knew that if I could show up and play those parts exactly how everyone had been hearing them, then this might actually work. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. It, that's kind of the context of it. It was. It was just you know, it was a high school band that we hadn't you know really done anything together for about a decade, and we just really had an interest in all getting together and uh, just playing these old tunes again. And so we did. We played uh, these this four song set and shot the video for it. I don't think I'll ever shoot something like this while I also play. Um, That was too much. Uh, But we pulled it off and I'm just so proud of it. It was just one of the most rewarding projects I think I've done in a long time. And I think it shows. I think you really, Mm -hmm. in the video, you see everyone's having fun and like just happy to be playing these songs and playing together. I think everyone had their own takeaways from the session, but for me it was just... Wow! Like you know, this was fun, and I love playing with these guys totally. and doing music and creating. So it's just yeah.
0: There's there's nothing else like and it, and I think it's it's really cool because you know we'd all been. Uh, incestually working on each other's projects <laughs> for years
1: now. Just train each other around oh, like. <laughs> ever ever
0: since Deny the Threat kind of slowed down and and, uh, and wasn't making music anymore. We've all worked on each other's projects as we've talked about. True.
1: Chuck, what have you done? I mean, because you've done stuff for well, a lot of stuff for Emmett and, and
0: Travis, Travis right? like, Travesty record I did uh, yeah. and I you know produced and co-wrote and played on that and then I've done mm-hmm. two of Emmett's records for his solo stuff. And I've done a record for his other band. Uh, and I've worked on stuff with you, random projects here and there with you. And then your, uh, latest project. Um, I mixed that and like, we all just worked together and we've all like, whenever we need to learn stuff, this is kind of the whole, the whole, uh, interesting part about this group is whenever we want to learn stuff, uh, we seem to always, Co- come back together, um, <laughs> yeah. which kind of comes full circle with this, with this project uh, because, you know, we started recording together back in the day um, and kind of helping each other out. Like I would, I needed a band to work with uh, and you guys were a fairly active band uh, in the community. And I wanted to like have a, a band under my belt that I could then use mm. as a portfolio to kind of show off to other local bands, to get more work and you guys needed recordings and wanted to, you know, really play with recording and, and, and get really good quality stuff. So we're like, okay, well let's help each other out. And that led to doing a lot of different projects and helping each other out in various different ways. And then now this project comes full circle because actually we recorded it at SG studios, which is a brand new studio, which was made and is run by uh, our friend Ryan tour, Who used to be a co-owner in The Swamp, which is where I started working, the first studio I worked at outside of my basement, which is also where I said, hey, Malcolm, bring the band. We're recording a song because I have free time here (laughs) for the first time. Uh, (laughs) So I could just never... It just never stops. We just always loved working together. Like it's always a good time. It's always a good hang. Plus we get to learn stuff and get cool products out of it in the end. I wanted to ask you a question about that. What's your take on why this group of people has just always continuously worked together and continued to work together like we can go a month or two months or three months without talking and then we're right back in it like it was yesterday um true why do you think this group has stuck together so well you know i think that's a valid question um and you know
1: i can only speak to my own experience but uh for me, I think number one, just these guys are my friends. I mean, all these guys, I, j- I genuinely just enjoy hanging out, whether it's grabbing a beer or getting dinner or anything like that. Um, so I think, you know, if you have that uh, that basis of just a solid friendship, I think there's there's always something to be said for that. But uh, creatively, for me, at least, um, this group just really inspires me. Um, it inspires me to, to try harder and to, and to reach a little farther and to always keep creating. I mean, I think um, I don't ever try to create any type of art to impress anyone in particular mm-hmm. but when it comes to this group of guys I think there is an element for me of that of like if I'm creating something I want to show this group and I want this group to like be like oh yeah man this is awesome keep doing it um, and, and that goes for everyone um, Emmett O'Reilly is still to this day the best musician I've ever met in my entire life he is so incredibly talented Mm -hmm. whatever he touches turns to gold and working with him is an absolute pleasure um Travis Jakes is one of the funniest people I know in my entire life that guy has so much energy also like an energy ball dude he's he's (laughs) like a race car that just doesn't even need gas um he, and he's just so funny and he's so fun and he's so passionate he, I've never met anyone that works as hard as he no. um, ever since he started Travesty mm-hmm. uh, that he has just put his foot you know all the way down to the floor and um, you know there's just no stopping him He's he has so many ideas for that band and he's working so hard you know they just cut like a full length album and they're already working on like a follow up EP mm-hmm. slash album like it's incredible and like even his drive uh, including me in that band too like I've done three music videos for them already and they're like basically a brand new band mm. um, as well as promo stuff and things like that so um, and it just watching Travis and Emmett work together is just it's magical because yeah. they've known each other since they were kids Yeah, and um, vocally they're just so locked in together that like to watch them craft a vocal line together and then perform it is just like you just don't see that with anyone else so that really inspires me to like be at that kind of level mm-hmm. so that like when it's time for me to add my part in that like i'm at that same quality level with them
0: yeah uh
1: max santandria who is now in a band called uh, plants based out of southern ontario as well um he's one of the most phenomenal bass players i've ever met and honestly he's the the he was the first guy that actually taught me what the bass was supposed to be in this style of music, mm. this kind of prog punk metal style. Yep. Um, the bassists I had all worked with before him really were just kind of, um, guitar. Honestly, they were just guitarists. They were guitarists that happened to be playing the bass right now. Um, so they didn't really, um, to me teach the role that the bass player played. And when Max joined in either threat, it was like, Oh wow. Like this is, this is how the bass and the drums are supposed to be communicating. Like he really taught me how to be locked in and how to how that dynamic worked and so I love working with Max. He's got a heart of gold, and he's just like he's just one of the sweetest guys. He's also so funny too, especially when he just starts raging about something. He gets so upset Mm. about the most Mm -hmm. mundane little things, but it's just (laughs) hilarious to watch. Uh, (laughs) um, And then finally, you Chuck, like you know, like you you are just at a level that is uh, very uh, aspirational, and uh, you inspire me. I think you you hold me to very high standards Mm -hmm. too, that I think I hold for myself as well. Mm -hmm. And so I just know that like if I'm working with you, I got to. Bring it, and I think um, you bring a just a, an, an impeccable quality that is just unmatched. Mm-hmm. When I started doing my uh, my own solo album under the name Sons of Horus, I uh, I just finished my Canopic EP, which is my first solo EP, and I had the intention of mixing and mastering it myself. And I just decided it was like, you know what? it's going to be a lot of time and a lot of effort and I'm not sure I can do it mm-hmm. like to the level that I want it. And like the first and only name was like, okay, I'm going to send it to Chuck. Mm-hmm. like He's mm-hmm. going to do it. Cause I know you have experience with like, you know, technical metal music and that's what this is. There's a lot, go. there's a lot going on in that record. yeah. Um, and I knew you had the, like, the talent and the expertise to just pull it off and give me exactly what I wanted. You know, I sent you the files, I told you what it was mm-hmm. and I, And I just knew you could also read between the lines and know what I wasn't Mm -hmm, telling you. mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And I think for me, that's just why I continue to always want any opportunity to work with the four of these guys because uh, they just inspire me. They make me want to try harder. They make me want to play better. And um, they keep me at a pretty high level, I think of aspirations.
0: Yeah. I I would a hundred percent agree besides just the pure talent that each one of these people brings to this group is also just, it's always a good time and it's always inspiring to be creative together. And like, I mean, Mm -hmm. we felt that this like two seconds into the first chord of, you know, this, project itself, (laughs) it was like, oh, this feels right. This is where we were supposed to be. I'm so glad that it happened. And like, of course, you know, we're doing that. We're going, okay, why, why are we not doing this like every year? Or like, why are we not doing more together? Like this is what happened,
1: (laughs) you know? Yeah. So you might see more like annual deny the threat reunion stuff. (sighs) I wouldn't wouldn't be
0: surprised, man. (laughs) Every time we're going to try something new (laughs) and do, do something else. But yeah, I think that's, that's really, really good. And I think that just, uh, I think that's a great place to kind of wrap things up here. Um, we covered a lot of stuff um, but I think mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a lot in here for for people who are freelancers who are creatives and just who need some inspiration for what they're doing um, one last thing is one do you have any more advice for anybody anything you'd like to add that we haven't
1: covered I would just say like this project was just like I said it was very rewarding and it was very fun and I think you see that in the video mm-hmm. I think you really see everyone having fun and seeing what a great experience this was my only advice to anyone is just um you know, don't limit yourself based on like the gear you have mm. or anything like that. Like, we got really, I think lucky with this project in terms of how great it turned out yep. in terms of what the resources we had available to us. Um, but, you know, you know, we had a beautiful brand new studio to record in. We had a bunch of friends that helped us film. Um, you know, we had more cameras than we really needed that we were able to borrow and, and, um, <laughs> and use and stuff like that. Yep. But just don't ever limit yourself just because of your gear. I think, you know, like, I think especially when we went into the studio that first time with you to record, uh, perspectives, um, we did some really cool stuff on that record mm-hmm. and we really pushed ourselves to go beyond, you know, we got a bunch of like actual string players to come in and a French horn player. And that was weird. And that was like, you know, no one else was really doing that no, at totally. that time, but like it was worth pushing ourselves to try to just do something a little bit outside of our comfort zone. And to me, that's really what art is. Yep. And that's really when art shines is when it's bold, it's daring. And it's pushing you outside of what's really comfortable. Yeah. Um, yeah. To me, I'm 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 never really feeling. Uh, I, I feel comfortable feeling uncomfortable. Totally. <laughs> if that makes any sense. Hundred no, like, percent. If I'm not un- a little uncomfortable, then I'm not doing something right. Yep. You know, I'm settling in some way. So. Um, I think this was, this video was a huge achievement. Um, I loved doing it. I would love to do more of these projects. That's mm. really what, well, one of the points of me doing this was actually, I want to do more of this. I want to do a lot of like live studio type of videos. So now this is the second on my portfolio. Yeah. I'd like to get a few more in and maybe kind of grow this, um, as, uh, is it, as, uh, something maybe bigger, you yeah. know, something more. Yeah,
0: I think your other project that we're working on right now that you mentioned, Sons of Horus, I think that's going to be a really cool thing. I would love to probably get you back on the podcast to talk about that later on because uh, there's some really interesting ways of recording that you had to do and, and writing and the whole process was very interesting. So uh, maybe we'll get you back on the podcast for that in the future. Yeah,
1: that'd be great. It was it was a really fun project and there's, there's obviously more in the pipeline that uh, you are involved with. Yes. So yeah, I would love to, the honor of coming back to be back on the Anna Creates podcast. Perfect. And everyone out there listening, don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> Follow Anna C- Creates on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Enjoy the vlog, listen to the <laughs> podcast, watch the videos, and learn more. Anna Creates helps you
0: create. Man, I need you to... Do my voiceovers? Now. Yeah, there you go. I'll do
1: your intros. From now <laughs> yeah, on. perfect.
0: Yeah, uh, awesome. Well, thank you, Malcolm. Uh, real pleasure having you on today. Um, and for everybody listening, all the links uh, for anything we talked about, all the the video, the different projects, all that kind of stuff, I will link all of that in the description of the podcast, and you can find it at AnikCreates.ca. Just find this podcast, and it'll be in the show notes there. So go check that out. You can find more of my work and everything I do on
1: GorillaBackProductions.com. Uh, feel free to hit me up there or, you know, just add me on Facebook or Instagram. My handle on uh, IG is at uh, CoddleMac. Um, so if you feel free to hit me up. I, I love just talking gear. I like talking technique and equipment and uh, anything like that. Once again, thank you so much, Malcolm. Uh, pleasure having you on today and uh, look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, man. Cheers. Good talking to you. Talk again soon.